Well, I have a few folks that I'm going to interview here in just a moment, but I want to just talk for just a moment. From this day forward is the name of this message, and um, I just want you to know who this message is for so that you understand right up front, okay? If you're married, this message is for you. If you have children or grandchildren uh, or nieces or nephews that you influence, this message is for you. If you're single and you think you'll ever get married or anybody will ever talk to you about marriage, this for you. the rest of you, it does not apply. Uh, it, it was funny, you know, I used to be a singles minister and I, I, used to, I, I was always very curious because people would come and talk to me about marriage, uh, some couples um, in the church because I was a minister and I was... I, I all of a sudden understood what it was like to be a priest. I'm thinking, I'm just going to smile and say a lot and act like I pretend like I know. But uh, today, I, I want us to look at some very concrete, practical things uh, about marriage and family. And uh, at Rock Point, we have uh, what we call the essentials of building a great marriage, and they're listed for you there on the bulletin. Discovering and building on God's plan for your marriage, grow in relationship with Christ, and grow in relationship with each other. And Brian and Edie Sanders do a fantastic job uh, with this, and uh, they just finished a class called The Theology of Marriage, and uh, they, they offer ongoing classes and, and uh, just coaching, and so we really want to encourage you uh, to take advantage of those opportunities for your marriage and for your family. And so as we talk about this, we talk about how do I build a marriage and family legacy from this day forward, starting today. In Proverbs 20, 24, verse 3 through 4, uh, says this, By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established, and by knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. And we're going to come back to this in a minute about wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Also in Psalms uh, 127, verse 1, the Bible tells us this, uh, Unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. That uh, We can build a house, but through the Lord we build a home. And so uh, I'm going to ask Brian and Edie and their children, uh, their, two of their daughters, to come on up at this time, and we're going to talk for just a moment. And uh, it's interesting, I was reading uh, some statistics this week, and uh, they were from uh, Bradford Wilcox, who is a professor at the University of Virginia, uh, one of the leading sociologists in the United States studying marriage and family. He's a secular sociologist. Uh, but we hear a lot about divorce and uh, about what causes that, and it's no different in the Christian home and in the non-Christian home. But at, what was interesting is we as read his study, his study actually said this. It said um, that, first of all, uh, m- most of the United States, most people identify themselves as Christian. Uh, but what he found out is he found out that people who were nominal Christians, in other words, they only attended church a few times a year. They really didn't have any kind of consistency in a spiritual life. It was really primarily a name and a few times a year. Uh, they found that, which they classified as nominal, they found out that they are 35%, excuse me, 25% more likely to get a divorce than the rest of the population. So nominal, very marginal Christians are more likely to get a divorce than the rest of the population. But then they found what they called active evangelical Christians, uh, people who were actively involved in their church, people who were taking time to pray each day, people who serve and people who really got involved, they were 35% less likely to get a divorce. So there's 55% difference. We talk about how that there's no difference in the church. That's true. 
That's because this group right here pulls this group into the middle. Uh, but truth be told, there's nothing you can do than to share a strong faith together and live that out uh, to see your marriage thrive and for your marriage to make it. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But we have some folks here I want to interview uh, for just a moment. And uh, this, of course, is Brian and Edie Sanders. And Brian and Edie are our marriage ministers and uh, do a terrific job. If you don't know them, I want to encourage you to get to know them today uh, before you leave. And then uh, this is two of, their, two of their favorite daughters. They have one more, but this is two of their favorites. Um, this is Brett Seidel, and she's the youngest. And then this is Jamie. Uh, Brett has an eight-month-old, and Jamie will have a baby soon. And uh, I didn't spoil anything right there, did I? No, okay, good, good. <laughs> um, and, I, you know, you think about what, what might be your greatest fear in life. How would this be to set your kids up on stage in church and you sit right next to them and ask questions about how they did as parents? Does that sound kind of terrifying to you? <laughs> yeah, that's why I asked them to do it. Um, so, <laughs> nevertheless, uh, we're going to start up here. And, um, Brad, I guess I'll start with you. Tell us a real-life story of something that your parents did that made a real impact on you. Um, yeah, so I immediately think of a particular story when I was in sixth grade. And at that time, uh, all of us really were very heavy into sports, played different kinds, and um, I decided I wanted to also try out swimming. And so it was kind of mid-year. I hadn't learned any of the strokes, anything like that, um, but we were already in meat season. And this was maybe my second or third meet that we had, and I hadn't learned really all the strokes, maybe two of the four. And my coach had mistakenly signed me up for uh, the butterfly, which, if you know, is by far the hardest stroke there is. And for a gangly sixth grader who didn't really know how to do it, I was mortified. I had never done it competitively. Um, And it was a mistake that I had been signed up for it. And so um, I remember when I read it on the sheet that I was supposed to do it, I ran to my dad uh, like right before, I was like, Dad, I can't do this. I can't do this. You know, I'm going to make a fool of myself. I don't know how to do this stroke. And um, he looked at me in his very uh, Brian Sanders stoic, direct way um, and said, okay, you can quit. You don't have to do it. But if you don't uh, compete in this uh, heat right now, you're also going to quit the swim team. And we're going to leave, and you're never going to swim again. And I remember thinking, oh, that is not what I expected you to say. Like, you know, where's mom? (laughs) Where's the compassion? Um, And so I, shorts, you know, to make it a short story, I I went on and I did did the heat and did fine in it. But looking back on that, I am so thankful that he did that with me. I didn't like it at the time. Um, To be blunt, I hated him at the time. I was mortified. I made an idiot of myself. Um, but he did what he should have done. He didn't protect me in this bubble. Um, he let me learn to feel vulnerable. He let me learn to feel weaknesses, um, to be scared of things, but to, to overcome those. Um, for all intents and purposes, he parented me. Um, and so that, that's carried through all the way for me as an adult. Jamie, give us a specific example of something that you gleaned from your parents that you want to now employ with your children and family? Uh, yeah, okay, so really I think there's just three, I think of like the top three that, one is just the importance of date night. Um, so they came first, you know, we're all gone out of the family and 
Um, they were like, you know, there was nights, Friday nights, where it was like, sorry, you guys are not welcome downstairs after 7 o'clock because it's date night for mom and dad. Like, don't come down unless there's blood. And it really needs to be a large amount, you know. Um, and that was important because, you know, now they're still, they have a blast and we're gone. And so that's, you know, important for us, like, with our daughter, that that'll be something that we, you know, Destin and I go on a lot of dates. Um, and the other one is just... They never made us guess if they were proud of us and they loved us. Um, that was unconditional, and it was in our home repeatedly, uh, every day. I love you. I'm proud of you. If you failed, I'm not proud of you because you accomplished something. I'm proud of you because you've overcome it. I'm proud of who you are, um, not what you've done. Um, and that, I think, really encourages us to be confident and be okay with failure um, and be okay with trying new things. Um, so that's something I really, really want to instill. And then also, um, they said no, which was hugely not... Uh, we were not big fans of that. <laughs> but they weren't our best friends when we were growing up. They are now. Um, but growing up, they said no, and we weren't keen on it. But it's because that was what we needed. So, All right, so mom and dad, if you had to do over again, what do you wish you would have done differently? First, let me say, whew, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> they were merciful. Um, yeah, so one of the many that comes to mind whenever I'm asked that question, is I was not really good at honoring Brian when we were disciplining the kids. I undermined his authority fairly frequently because I thought I knew better and I had the better parenting skills. But the truth of it is, is that the Bible says Jesus came in truth and grace. He was truth. I was grace when he did both. <laughs> well, it's a long list when you think back over 31 years of parenting, but one that comes to mind is I, we missed an opportunity in not taking mission trips as a family. I really wish we had done that um, to, to serve as a family. So there's just one. Thank you guys so much. Well, we have a statement. As a matter of fact, if you uh, if you've been a part of the theology of marriage that Brian and Edie have taught. Um, it's, here's our statement on marriage, and it's this. We believe that God, not man, created the sacred and the holy institution of marriage as a lifelong covenant relationship between a man and a woman. We believe God created marriage so that the couple can glorify God as one flesh and reflect the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. We believe that God uses marriage to mold a man and a woman into the image of Jesus Christ. Through equal but differing roles and responsibilities, a, a husband and wife are to reflect the harmony of the Trinity. Finally, as, the, as companions, they shall exercise stewardship over God's creation and raise godly children for kingdom expansion. That's our statement on marriage. Uh, you can find that online. Uh, again, I encourage you uh, to take, take a class or sign up uh, for coaching mentoring. Uh, we're also looking for people who are willing to coach and mentor as well, and so encourage you to consider that. Now, you may be saying, why are we talking about this? Obviously, I don't want to be, um, I, I don't want to simply just state the obvious. Uh, family is under attack, marriage is under attack, and uh, let me just give you some stuff, give, give you some evidence uh, of what I'm talking about and why we feel it's important to make this statement. Uh, there's a study that came out, matter of fact, in Time Magazine, uh, and it was by Jessica Bennett, and this is the USA Network survey uh, and the types of marriage that millennials 
uh, would approve of. So millennials being people who are eight, age 18 to 34, uh, this study was done. And uh, again, this is a obviously not a Christian study, uh, but interviewed people whether they be Christian or not. And this is what they found. It found that 43% uh, would prefer, and this was the most prevalent, would say, we prefer a marriage, a union, real, rather than maybe even calling it marriage, that can be dissolved after two years. So you can make a two-year commitment, but then it can be dissolved at that point with no consequences. 36%, a marriage license can be granted for a specific amount of time, 5, 7, 10, 20, 30 years. Kind of like you do a car or a mortgage, okay? You can kind of just sign up when you're done with that, uh, then, you, then you have it. And, uh, and you see, this is the majority of people would take one of these uh, millennials, okay? Uh, millennials. Uh, this is, uh, if you have children, they haven't even got to this point, okay? We're talking about 18 to 34-year-olds today in our culture. Traditional marriage, only 31% said, until death do us part. Only, only one, not a, less than a third of the people said, I would want to enter in into a relationship, into a, who a, a covenant, we'll call it a covenant agreement. 21% take what we call a political or even presidential view. You, your vows last for four years, but at the end of the eight, you can elect another partner. Okay, this is a real deal, by the way. And then the last one, and, and I bring this one up because everybody thinks when you talk about, well, if you do this, then polygamy is next. And, people, and a lot of people go, oh, whatever, polygamy. That's a ridiculous argument. That's a ridiculous statement. People 18 to 34, one out of every tens would say multiple marriage partners at the same time. Everybody know what that's called? It's called polygamy. That's already 10% of our young adult population would favor that position. Okay, So you see the slope that we're on. And so as we talk about marriage, I think it's an imperative that we understand what biblical marriage is. Now, I'm going to make you go look these up because it's so important. Most of the time I put it on the screen, but I'm going to make you write this down and go put it up uh, because I think it's that important. Uh, Sometimes I make it a little too easy on you. I'm going to continue to use the screen, but for this passage of Scripture, I want to give you one passage of Scripture that every one of you ought to know. And it's found in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, verse 4 through 6. And this is what Jesus had to say about marriage. I'm not going to read it to you. Now, quite frankly, it'll be read next week. I've read it a hundred times to you, but I want you to write it down this time. I want you to go home. I want you to look at it. This is Jesus speaking. So we don't have to be about, well, I'm not sure the Bible says this. I don't know if the Old Testament says. I'm talking about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. By the way, he's quoting Genesis. So, Let's don't get into the Old Testament, New Testament argument. This is Jesus speaking here, and he defines for us clearly what marriage is. And as believers in Christ, we have to come to that place where we go, either Jesus is wrong and he doesn't know what he's talking about, or it's the truth. Those are your two options. And if you believe the first one, then I would say, why even bother? If you don't believe Jesus, you don't believe that Jesus' words are binding for us today, I really doubt, you don't hear me talk like this very often, I really doubt you really know Christ. If you can look at what Jesus said, I just don't think that matters for us. I don't think that applies. I don't think he was right. I think he was wrong. We believe that Jesus is God. There's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And when we start making statements like, I don't believe God is right, I believe God is wrong, mm, um, That is a picture of the truth is not within us, okay? 
we have adopted our own idol of what we think God is. We've made up a figment of our imagination. You have to go to the Word of God, and this is what God says. So, with that understanding, and with that in mind, I want us to think about a few things, and I want us to talk about some things very practically this morning. Uh, In Proverbs 24, verse 3 through 4, again, By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it's established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Theology of marriage. Let's talk about it for just a moment. What is the knowledge of marriage? What is marriage? What does the Bible say marriage is? First of all, it tells us that it's a sacrament. A sacrament. And what do I mean by that? I'm not talking about it's a part of the salvation process. Sacrament simply means this. It reflects something. So, Uh, Last week when we took communion, we took the bread. The bread reflects, we believe, uh, as Protestants, we believe the body reflects the body of Christ. That the juice or wine reflects, it's an image, it's a picture of the blood of Christ. So marriage is to be a sacrament. It is to be a reflection of how Christ loved the church and how the church is to love Jesus Christ. So it's meant to be a picture. Number two, marriage is meant to be functional. What do I mean by functional? To do something. Well, it was meant for the purpose of procreation. It's meant for the purpose of partnership and pleasure. It was to do something, all right? Now, a lot of times people just get stuck right there on the functional, but it's much more than the functional. The third, it is to be transformational, to become something, to refine us, to sanctify us. If you've heard me preach about this subject or if you've heard me do a wedding, I always quote Martin Luther on this. Martin Luther said, I've lived in a monastery and I've lived as a married man. I can tell you this, that being married is more refining than a monastery. Okay? God knew that when he put man and woman together. And he knew both of us have rough edges. We have things that we need to have worked out of us. And it exposes. Marriage screams out our pains. It screams out our inadequacies. And it screams our sin. We can't get away from it. And it, it forces us and it pushes us to be sanctified, to have our edges smoothed, and for us to become more, to grow more into the image of Christ. So, as we talk about this, it's important that we understand that from a knowledge standpoint. Now, I remember, I have up here just a little list, and these are just something if you want to pick them up later, uh, just to help you get started if you want to have a little list. But um, I remember when I was uh, going into college, I had become a, uh, I'd really committed my life to Christ, and I came up with this list. And uh, I I prayed over and I said, God, I'm going to make a little list here, and then when when I find this list, I'm going you know, to look for this person. You help me find them. I'm, I'm going I'm to date them, and then I'm going to marry them. So I made out my list. The first one was an attractive believer. That was the first one on my list because I was a very mature, shallow teenage boy. Um, number, number two I had on my list uh, that they love sports because I thought that was very important as I prayed about it. Number three, that they played sports and were athletic. Uh, number four, that um, they uh, were funny. Thought that was important. And then number five on my list was that they played the piano and could sing. <laughs> now, 
I had prayed and thought long and hard about it, and this is what God wants. And so I began to search for this list. It did not exist at my school, not at least the person that had these qualities had any interest in me. So until my senior year in college, I finally found the girl. Matter of fact, I went uh, to a missions conference, and I met the girl on my legs. And I go, here it is. Matter of fact, I met her on the basketball court. That must be God's will. And so then we, we went and played the piano, and, and she could sing. And I'm thinking, check, check. She made me laugh, check, check. I'm thinking, God, you gave me my list. Thank you very much. So we began to date, but she went to another college that was about three hours away. And so we were doing the long-distance dating thing, seeing each other about twice a month. And uh, at first it was all real good. You know, we're talking on the phone. And then as she would come and she would stay, my grandmother lived in the town where she was going to college, and I would go stay there. When we started spending more time together, I started thinking, you know, there, there's some other things that, that I don't know that I like here. And um, what was not on my list was I wanted somebody uh, who was respectful and kind. I should have had that on there. Uh, somebody that was very perfectionist, almost OCD, and I'm, I'm not, and uh, a couple other things, and I, and I never thought those were important. I remember that about six months into it, we were at McDonald's. I'll never forget this. And I was just going, man, I, okay, God, I can do this, I can do this. And uh, the, the little guy at the register got our order wrong, and she chewed him out. I remember going, whoa, I think I need to make a new list. <laughs> And so I did. I said, God, I thought this was my list. I thought this was it. And it was apparent that that was not it. And that uh, there were things that I had not considered that were much more important than watching football and uh, playing the piano. And so, uh, so I had to get rid of that list because it didn't work. And uh, so I, I really began to pray and, and seek the heart of God. And I remember going through this struggle. And I remember... Um, Matter of fact, it was 1994. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was going to see the girl I was dating. This is another girl later on. This is whatever, um, five, six years later. Um, and I'm going to see this girl, and, and I'm thinking, I don't know if this is right. God, I, I don't know. I'm, you know, a lot of good things. I just don't know if this is right. I probably shouldn't, uh, whatever. You know, let's just see what happens. And I get there. We start talking. She has her friend there to meet me and interrogate me, her, uh, her friend. And so we start talking and her friend just boom she's hit me upside the head you know because I'm pointing things out that's wrong with this other girl and her friend just nails me upside the head and just convicts me and uh, her friend was going to before you see I do and so I I left there and I'm thinking I I don't need to date this girl anymore I need to cut this off and what I really need to do I need to marry somebody like that girl that just chewed me up and spit me out that's really what I need and uh and so forgot about it move on three and a half years later I'm sitting at a desk at my church, and this girl comes up, and she goes, are you Ron Holton? I said, yeah. And it was that girl that chewed me out. <laughs> and uh, we began to visit, and later on, uh, she became my wife. It's the woman over here on the left. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, which was God's best. Um, and um, she doesn't play the piano either. And, and, but uh, actually, she does play. She, she does play the piano way. But, uh, you know, it, she was what I needed. And, it, and it's, it wasn't to that point that I came and I said, okay, now what's really important? What's really important? We get so caught up in these superficial things on the outside that aren't going to last. And quite frankly, men, you're not even going to be able to do very long. And we get so caught up in those and we, we believe the lie of the world about what's important. 
And God defines for us what's important. And we want to leave this legacy. We want to leave this message with our children, with our grandchildren, with our nieces, with our nephews. And wisdom to build a strong legacy. Um, Let me give you some things that I think are important that I wish someone would have told me uh, when I started high school and when I began the dating process. Uh, First of all, I want to challenge you to do this as parents. And challenge your children to do the same thing or your grandchildren. Number one, ask God daily for wisdom and strength. Ask him, if you don't do anything else, ask him for wisdom and strength that day to guide and lead your family. And pray wisdom and strength for your children. Encourage them to pray that. Help your children to develop a servant's heart. You know, one of the reasons that we do servant-type activity in this church is so that you can participate with your family. In a couple months, we'll do Feed the Hunger again. That's a great time for you to serve with your children. A couple months from then, we'll do Hands Cross Community. We'll all go out and serve. Can I just be a preacher for just a second? Just be an old, old school, Southern Baptist, evangelical, hitch upside the head, offend your preacher for just a second? Don't take, if you've, got, if you've got children, don't take that week off and sleep in. Shame on you. Shame, 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 shame on you. You're terrible if you do that, okay? Is that enough guilt and rich on you? Just make you feel awful? Okay. And I'm, we're knowing, nobody's going to be checking, by the way. But your children will be checking. And what's going on at church? Ah, they're just going out and serving. <laughs> we're not going to do anything. And one day you're going to go, I don't understand why my kid's so entitled. <laughs> Hey, the best thing you can do is serve with them. And that's what we're doing as a church. We're not trying to take your place. We're trying to help you do it. So when we do feed the hunger, when we do hands cross community, when we work in South, these are opportunities for you to connect and for your children to see you do it and for them to do it and to say, hey, this is part of who we are. Nobody, nobody in this room would raise their hand. You know, I hope I raise a completely entitled, spoiled brat one day that doesn't want to help or do anything for anybody. None of us intentionally think that. But when we miss opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, saying, I'll get to it later, if we're not careful, it'll turn out to be what we intended it not to be, okay? So, again, I'm not trying to whip on you. We all struggle. I get it. Sometimes we, have to, sometimes we can't do things, but find, find some things that you can do to serve and teach your children to serve. And when you can serve with them, that's premium, all right? Um, Another one, uh, teach your children how to walk with God. Yes, we're going to support you and help you, encourage you that, but teach them. Let them hear you pray. Let them hear you read the scripture to them. Uh, Talk to them about decisions that they need to make and how do they go through that process. And then, of course, giving. Teach them to give. We want to support that as a church, but if you will do that, uh, you are in, you are giving them valuable minerals and vi- vitamins for their spiritual development. Also, teach them to wait on God's timing. Teach them to wait, whether that's in dating, whether that's in decisions of things they think they have to know now or have to have now. Teach them to pray and say, God, show me the time. Be, w- be willing to wait upon the Lord. Train them to submit to authority. Now, I know I'm going to offend some of you right now, and, you, and you're not going to come back, and you're going to be mad. I, I know that. But God called me to, to offend some of you. Um, most of you probably, but even myself, I get offended by myself sometimes. But nevertheless, 
you know, my mother was a principal. I used to be a teacher and coach. My mother was a teacher. My mother was a principal. Uh, my brothers taught school, uh, all in public school. And, um, you know, I never one time, never did this happen. Did, did I get in trouble with a teacher or have a problem with a teacher or an administrator or a coach that my parents said, you're right, you're right, son, and they're awful, and we're going to go do something about them. We're going to go, and then we're going to go chew them out and get them. We're going to straighten them out, and you don't have to worry about it. As a matter of fact, you come with us and watch us. That is the most foreign thing I've ever heard. I, I never, my mother certainly talked to teachers. Uh, my parents talked to coaches. My parents did that, but you know what they did? They did it without my knowledge. And I'm so glad they did. Because you know why? Because they believed in the importance of teaching their children to submit to authority, even when it wasn't fair. Can I tell you something I'm concerned about our culture? When I see parents yelling and screaming at teachers, yelling and screaming at coaches in front of their kids. Hey, I like to yell at games. Don't get me wrong. All right? But there's one thing to berate and for, to, to show dishonor and disrespect. And guys, we've got to be careful. Hey, that's fine if you're yelling at the Dallas Cowboys. But on your kids' team, okay, and your kids' coach, and your kids' teachers, I'm not saying that you don't need to confront them sometimes. Sometimes you need to. You're the spiritual authority. But your children don't need to see you disrespect. Police officers, they don't need to see you disrespect. Teachers or any adult or any authority, you may need to go deal with that. And I know some of you are like, I just don't agree with that. Well, I think you're wrong. Okay? I do. I think you're wrong. And I think you should quit. And you get to do what you want because you're a big boy and a big girl. But if you're not careful, we see a culture that is more and more breeding contempt for authority. Ask any teacher who teaches today. They won't tell you, oh, it's much easier now than when I started. Find somebody that says that. They're a first-year teacher. That's who they are. Okay? <laughs> So this, God has given us authority. You know, Romans tells us, in Romans 13, it tells us about submitting to government authority. And this is the time when Rome was in charge. Okay? So teach your children to respect. They don't always have to agree. They, they can go and confront the teacher or the official or whatever it is personally. And you can teach them how to do that. That's fine. But we don't want to berate and disregard and disrespect. Okay? I know some of you are going, I hate you. I know you don't like it. God bless you. Okay? Bless your heart. And moving on. You know what that means. Expose your, te- expose your children to positive marital role models other than just your family. That's one of the reasons it's, it's great to have a small group, that they get to, to know other parents and those parents' children and the children of those parents. That is just a, a great thing for you to do. And uh, uh, in church, as we do family camps and things of that nature, it's just great. Uh, not everyone was raised with a, with a great marital or family or marriage example in their home. And this is one of the ways. It, it certainly was something tremendously beneficial for me. And so I, I really encourage you to consider that. Uh, then teach your children an example of moral purity. Uh, what Kind of like Joseph, the story of Joseph in Genesis 39. Matter of fact... Let's take a minute to read that story. Joseph, of course, has been sold into slavery by his brothers, and he's picked up by a guy named Potiphar here in verse 1. And he's brought down to Egypt. An officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. Notice what the Bible says. The Lord was with him. 
God was with Joseph and Joseph was connected to him. He was in relationship with him. And he became a successful man and he was in the house of the Egyptian master. His master saw the Lord was with him. What a great testimony. His master saw that uh, Yahweh, Adonai, was with him. And that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of the house and put him in charge of all that he had. This is because of his character, <clears throat> because of his integrity. From, the t- from that time, from the time that he made him overseer in his house, over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Continuing, the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge because he trusted him. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and sometimes that's a curse. Some of you might know about that. Some of you, like me, might not understand that. But nevertheless, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eye on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But what does the Bible say? But he refused. First response, he refuses. And he said to his master's wife, Behold, because of my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything he has in my charge, he is not greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself. Now, I believe Joseph most certainly understood and knew the story of Adam and Eve. You remember in the garden, one tree that you could keep yourself from? Everything else is permissible because you are his wife. And he, and he just spells it out. He calls it sin. He says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against who? God. Sin always is against God first. Not exclusively God, but always first against God. Joseph recognized this. He's been taught. And, he, and as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her, to be with it. This must have been an incredibly difficult scenario because for all practical purposes, he is a slave bound to that house uh, and he cannot leave. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men in the house were in there in the house, she caught him by the garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. He ran. Flee temptation, just as we learn in the New Testament. This is a great story of moral purity. These are great lessons here. The Lord was with Joseph. Joseph was a man of character. Uh, Joseph clearly identified sin and temptation and called it what it was. Joseph stood for his principles. And last of all, when Joseph couldn't do anything else, when there was no other alternative, what does Joseph do? He runs. No shame in running whatsoever. The last thing I would share with you and wisdom to build a long and strong legacy for those God gives you influence over is pray daily for their future spouse. Pray for their spouse. Pray for the one that will ultimately take them from you and live the majority of their life with your child, with the precious gift that God has given you. So if I'm here today and I'm, I'm single, or I'm here today and I have children or grandchildren, or I'm here today and I want uh, to know what do I pray for or what should you pray for in a future spouse. Here are the things I think that are very important. Number one, faith, that you both share a real and sincere faith with Jesus Christ. That is just an imperative. Hey, look, marriage is hard enough, and if you don't have that glue to hold you together, you're on shaky ground. 
Uh, matter of fact, I was reading a survey not long ago that um, they said a person's faith, if, if one person is very strong in their faith, um, that that will be the big, and another person does not share that faith, that will be the biggest barrier to a successful marriage in that whole relationship. Two people of faith. Let me tell you, if you both have a strong faith, you can get through just about anything. If you're living it and living it out, uh, Satan's going to come against you to kill, steal, and destroy. But if you both have a strong faith, uh, oh, how much simpler that makes it. Character. Look for character. Pray for character, for integrity, for people who live out their character, just like Joseph did. Number three, purity. To commit to be pure. If someone's pressuring you to be unpure, if they don't see that as a value, that is a huge sign. Pray for purity in the life of your child and the the one that they shall meet. Values compatibility. What's your calling? What is God calling you to be? What's your view on church? What's your view on finances, the things that are values. Uh, if, you, if you're very conservative and someone else has a spending problem, that's going to be an issue, okay? That's going to be an issue. Think it through. Talk it through. Pray it through. Service. We talked about that earlier, about the importance of having someone who has a servant heart, somebody who serves with you. Prayer. Somebody who values prayer and, and makes that a part of their daily life. Before you would enter into a relationship with someone, I would encourage you to ask your family in godly counsel, those whom you respect spiritually. Your family, you know, I, we've, we've gone too far in our Western culture to where we don't want our family to know anything. Uh, and I think that's a mistake. I think, sure, everybody's got a weird uncle uh, or a crazy grandfather or whatever it is. I get that. I'm not saying you have to get all of their votes. That's not what I'm suggesting. I am saying there are certainly people in your family that you respect and you ought to listen to them. And there should be godly counsel in your life that you ought to listen to. And then patience. Can I tell you this? I used to be a singles pastor. And um, and so I counseled, I don't know how many, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people uh, before they were married. And um, I never had anybody say after they got married, man. I wish we got married sooner. Wish we got married a lot faster. But I've had scores of people saying, I wish we would have waited. I wish we would have waited. Um, also, just a tip, I know this isn't applicable for everybody, but if you're ever talking to somebody, if you've got children or grandchildren, nieces or nephew, encourage them to go through premarital counseling or one of our premarital classes or other churches offer them. Brian and Edie do a great job with that. Uh, in my last church, matter of fact, we, even here, we won't do your wedding. We don't do pop-up weddings, okay? We want you to go through counseling first. We want you to understand what you're getting into. In my last church, that was just a, a rule. We, we wouldn't even talk to you until you'd done a class called Before You Say I Do. I remember a guy came up to me and he goes, he goes, I need you to do my wedding. I want to get married here in a few weeks. I go, well, first of all, I'll call him Cletus. That wasn't his name. First of all, Cletus, um, you're going to need to go through before you say I do, and then we can sit down and have a conversation about it. Before you say I do, is that one of those premarital classes where they try to tell you about marriage? I go, yes, it is. He goes, I ain't going to that. I said, why, why not? He goes, look, son, I've been married four times. What do you think you're going to teach me about marriage? I said, yeah, you know, you're probably right. We're probably not going to teach you anything. <laughs> hey, can I tell you this? When people don't want to go through a class, that's, that's usually a, a, a yellow, if not red flag right there, guys. Okay? You, you prepare for 
school, you prepare for your job, prepare for education, you certainly want to prepare for marriage. So I want to encourage you to consider that. I want to just take a moment to just pray. And um, there, again, I have those little cards up if you want to pick one up later, just a place to start. But I want to ask you to consider making, uh, if you're not married or if you have children that are unmarried or grandchildren, of making it a prayer in your heart to begin to pray for their future and for their future spouse. And I want you to ask God to use you to help leave a legacy by demonstrating those qualities and those characteristics and those habits even now from this day forward. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are such a good and gracious and kind and loving God. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to serve you and to know you. Lord, I pray that we would recognize that marriage is a sacrament. It is to reflect how Christ loves the church, that it is functional uh, and that it is transformational. But Lord, I pray that we would also recognize that unless we know you and love you with all our heart, soul, and mind, those are just words until we come to that place where we make you Lord of our life and our Savior. And so, Lord, if there's one here today that doesn't know you as Savior, they've never come to that place where they recognize, I'm a sinner, I need forgiveness. But I believe that God, in his infinite mercy and love, provided a way for forgiveness through the person of Jesus Christ. And today, I want to put my hope and trust in him. If you've not done that, I want to invite you to do that. And as God leads you, I want to invite you to respond. We're going to have an offering here in just a moment, and we encourage you to give. But uh, as God leads you, we invite you to respond. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this blessing. Thank you for marriage. Thank you for family. Thank you for the opportunity to leave a legacy after we're gone. No one's going to care what house we had, what car we drove, or what was in our bank account, but what we invested eternally in. Our children, our grandchildren, our nieces, our nephew, kids in our neighborhood, Lord, I pray that we would invest, that we would pray, and that we would seek to make a difference. I thank you, God, for the opportunity. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.